The following program is a presentation of Grand Slam Ministries. Hi again, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of the Dan Scott Show, our 56th episode, as a matter of fact. Each and every one of them presented by our 501c3 nonprofit Grand Slam Ministries. I am Dan. It is good to have you with us. Hope that you have had a great week and uh, looking forward to sharing this week's interview with you. I know it'll come as a surprise to you when I say that I'm excited about this week's guest. But I am, and this week is just a continuation of what God has done in the life of this show, and that's bring extraordinary guest after extraordinary guest to the radio to share some incredible stories with you. This week's interview is with Will Graham, the grandson of Billy Graham. Will works with the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. He is carrying on the the tradition of the Crusades and going out and sharing the gospel all over the country and all over the world, along with his father, Franklin. And I can't wait to share this interview with you when we come back from the break. And then I'll just say this very quickly. At the end of the show, in our final segment, please stay tuned because I've got something very personal that I'm going to share and ask for your prayers. We'll be back and get into our interview with Will Graham right after this. Is there someone in your life who has been a spiritual mentor? An influence so great that you'd love to find a way to honor them? For a gift of $200 or more to Grand Slam Ministries, you can dedicate a segment of the Dan Scott Show to that very special person. Honor someone who is currently in your life or remember the legacy of a loved one who has passed. Make your gift online at grandslamministries.org and we will send you an information form which will allow you to tell us all about this special person, how and why they were a spiritual influence, their favorite Bible verses, and anything else that you would like to share. In doing so, you'll be covering our cost of one week's production, helping ensure the Dan Scott Show stays on air and continues to share stories of loved ones like yours. In addition, you'll get your own copy of the program in which your loved one's story airs, either by MP3 or CD. Help the legacy of your spiritual mentor reach others with your gift of $200 or more today. Do so online at grandslamministries.org. That's grandslamministries.org. Want to see a listing of our affiliates? Check out videos or listen to past shows and explore our archives? It's all available at our website, danscottshow.org. And now, back to the show. This is episode 56 of the Dan Scott Show, or the fourth episode of our second year. Good to have you with us, whether you're listening on the Life FM on Saturdays or all of our other affiliates on Sunday, thank you all for tuning in and thank all of our affiliates for continuing to be faithful in carrying the show. 
Hey, just a reminder, as I try to do it this time every week, uh, if you have missed an interview, you want to hear something again, you want to share something, you can find everything at the Affiliates and Archives page of danscottshow.org. And uh, there's also some bonus content there uh, on my SoundCloud. But uh, the list of the affiliates you can find there, and uh, everything that we've done is archived there. If finding it via a podcast site is your thing, just search Dan Scott Show. We are everywhere in the podcast world. But uh, danscottshow.org, the affiliates and archives page. All right, as we mentioned, our guest this week is Will Graham, the grandson of the legendary evangelist, Billy Graham, Franklin Graham's son, and it's a, a, an entertaining and heartfelt conversation we are about to bring you, but we opened up just by getting an update on how things are going at the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. Well, th- things are going extremely well. We just had a, you know incredible 2023 year. We saw some incredible numbers. Dad got to go to some, uh, my father, Franklin Graham, got to go to some unique places like... Um, uh, to go preach. One was in Rome. That's a huge deal. Uh, it was the largest evangelical event in the history of Rome that we know of. Um, we also, uh, dad went to Vietnam. Whoever thought someone in his generation would ever go to Vietnam to preach the gospel. And the, and the best part, the Vietnamese were, they, they were excited. Uh, even the, the government, they were very, they're very helpful. Like, uh, they helped us out and, uh, Matter of fact, they would make suggestions on when, when we come back to to go to other cities, you know, like, so th- these are things I would have never would have thought in a million years would ever happen in a sense. Um, but through God, God does the, mir- the, the miraculous things and God's brought these things about. We're so thrilled with that. Um, uh, I had a great, great year of ministry. We saw God do some amazing things and uh, whether it was in Canada or in Hungary, um, you know, we, we just saw God do some amazing things and we're grateful for that. And so, uh, we were grateful for what God took place in 2023. And so God, and we, our donors helped us and, um, God used our donors to help us reach more people than we've ever reached before. So, uh, God's been very, very good to us this year, you know, this past year. And, uh, I know he's going to be great for us this year too. You know, the, the Vietnam experience just kind of brings to mind something that we hear when we're talking about missionary work and, and expanding the gospel and, and reaching the people like Jesus commanded us to will. It's, it's interesting that Christianity seems to be growing at the highest rate in the places where it is either outlawed or where there's the greatest opposition and and stats will show what it's doing in China. And and just to see those doors open in Vietnam like that, I think is a confirmation of that. Well, but you got to remember this, the same, same was true in the first century Mm -hmm. when Christianity was just being born. I mean, they they were getting killed for their faith and yet it, 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 it exploded. And, uh, and so that should teach us as Christians, something here in the Western world where we don't have much persecution um, we may see it come. We see it on the horizon. That's for sure. And I'm not saying it's not taking place, but it, listen, America's North Carolina, South Carolina, doesn't matter where you live here in America. We have a lot easier than people in India, um, in China and some of these other countries, North Korea, you can't do this. Um, you know, so there's a lot of, um, God's given us a lot of freedoms in our country and we're, and we don't have persecution. We think we have persecution, 
We want to whine like we have persecution, but we don't have persecution where our life's on the line because we believe in Jesus Christ, that's for sure. And, but we see it exploding in all these other countries. Um, or, no, I shouldn't say all these countries. I, we don't see it in North Korea yet, uh, but definitely in China it's taking place. We're seeing a lot in these closed-off countries that were in Asia, like Vietnam. It's starting to ex expand rapidly. And so we're very blessed to see that. And uh, I can't wait to see what God's going to continue to do in those areas. That's what's, that's what's even great. And when we talk about what's happening in China, that's got to be a little special to you personally because that groundwork was laid by a lot of people a couple of generations ago, one of which was your grandmother and her family because she was raised in China, talking about your grandfather Billy's wife, Ruth. That's right. Uh, my grandmother, Ruth Brand, was born in China. Um, and th this is one of those interesting things. Um, this is one of those things you can't, I can't, I cannot do it myself. And what I mean by is, um, I get to go to preach in China. Um, I have, and I'm given total freedom from the Chinese government to preach because my grandmother was born in China. They can, they, they give it to me like I'm Chinese too. Mm hmm they consider my grandmother Chinese because she was born there. Now, she may have been white and American, but they consider her Chinese. And um, and because of that, they allow me to kind of ride her coattails on that sense. And uh, it'll give me freedoms that a lot of people, white Americans, don't get to do in China, which is to preach. And I get to preach openly. I get to preach about the cross, and I get to invite people to make an invite, you know, invite people to make a decision for Christ. Um, one of the things that a lot of Americans don't understand: China d does have some religious freedoms, but they also have religious restrictions. <laughs> and we have the same thing in the U.S. We just don't talk about it. Mm -hmm. You know, like we can't talk about Jesus at um, at public schools. We can't talk about Jesus in certain areas. You know, they they there we have restrictions too. So. But in China, they say, as long as you do it in the church, you're okay. If you do it literally physically in the church building, you're okay. And as long as you don't get political about it, you know, talk bad about the Chinese government or something like that. And I'm not there to talk about the Chinese government. I'm talking about Jesus Christ. So uh, we've seen God do some amazing things there. Always look forward. To, uh, I don't know when I get to go back, um, but uh, we're trying to work on that even now. So, But, but, but is it, isn't it interesting that, you know, we, we can look back on it and, and now I guess with a 30,000-foot view, see God's hand working in all this two generations ago, but he knew what the plan was going to be before it ever unfolded. Yeah, and, and that, I tell you, that's, Dan, that's one of the most emotional uh, thoughts that goes through my head. So when I'm over there preaching, I remember my great-grandfather, and, and I never met, I never knew him. He died before I was born. Mm-hmm read his writings and I know the stories they saw just a small group come to know Christ in in 20 years of ministry over 25 years of ministry he only saw you know maybe just a few hundred people come to know Christ it was that hard of ground but look at the fruit that's taking place now it's millions and millions and millions of uh, Chinese uh, believe in Jesus Christ and it was the work of those faithful missionaries just a uh, just not my great grandparents, but other great, uh, wonderful missionaries that sacrificed so much to tell the Chinese people about a God that loves them and died for them. And so, um, I'm just grateful to, to continue to see the fruit that they planted years ago and it's bearing fruit now.
We are visiting with Will Graham on this week's edition of the show. And uh, yes, he is that Will Graham. His grandfather, Billy Graham, kind of set the stage for what continues uh, at BGEA now with the crusades that Will and his father, Franklin, continue to put on. Um, I know the pressure of being a preacher's son. My, my dad is a pastor and preacher and at 75, almost 76 years old, is, is still doing it. You, of course, are a preacher's son as well. But, and, and I'm going to try to go around the barn to get in the front door here, so bear with me just for a moment. When you are a, let's say, a coaching in, in, in coaching, and we just saw what we, we've seen Pete Carroll, Nick Saban at Alabama, and, and uh, this morning as we're recording this, Bill Belichick. Uh, all now unemployed, looking for jobs. Three of the the huge coaching names in the sport of football, NFL and college. And there's an old axiom that you don't want to be the guy to replace the guy. That's you right. don't want to, you don't want to replace the legend. You want to maybe be the next guy because there's just that immense pressure. Is it easier for you? And, and easy is probably not the right word, but to be Billy Graham's grandson as opposed it was for your father being Billy Graham's son. Uh, I will say that um, my dad, there's a lot more heavy weights on my dad than they were, or they are on me or were on me. And uh, when my dad was born and my dad, there was notes written to my grandfather and technically to my dad, you know, like, mm-hmm. welcome Billy Jr. You know, <laughs> right. You know, you know, just, and they were nice. Everyone was well-meaning. But they said, you know, they were all saying, you got some big shoes to fill. We got some big expectations for you. And, you know, and it's, he's, he's six, I mean, he's six minutes old, you know, (laughs) I mean, this is, you know, why are we putting this on this job? You know, my dad, he knew that he knew the pressure that was put on him. And I think that's part of the rebellion that he kind of went through um, because of those expectations that were, that were placed on him so heavily at the very beginning um, so when we came along, me, Will Graham, as a child, um, dad protected us from that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, now granted, there's always still going to be a little bit of pressure that's put on you from outsiders, but he protected us from the insiders. And what I'm talking about is like people at the Billy Graham evangelistic association or Samaritan's purse. They weren't allowed to come and talk to us and ask us to go speak, uh, you know, for the ministry without going through him first Mm -hmm. until we got to age about college uh, a little bit after college or probably about somewhere in my last you know senior year of college dad said you you just go talk to will now he's he's figured this out now so in other words he protected us from that pressure and uh so dad dad learned from the own failings of his parents i might say from trying to protect i'm not sure if they could have but that's a hard thing to do back then and um because it was so well-meaning but it was a lot of pressure to put on, but I, I've never had the pressure like my father has had the pressure when he was that young. I, I know from just being a preacher's son in a small town growing up in West Virginia, like I did, that there is and can be an immense amount of pressure. And even the days before the internet, if anybody even thought I was remotely involved with something, there was a phone call to my parents' house before I would get home. So everybody knew what the preacher's kid was doing or what maybe they thought he was doing. So there, there is that kind of pressure that I think people don't understand, and that's one of the reasons why, I guess, in, in retrospect, I rebelled as long as I did. Uh, I didn't mm-hmm. become a Christian until I was 45 years old. So, oh, wow. Um, so it, last it's, year? Was that last year? 
No, 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 no. Unfortunately, it's been about uh, about eleven and a half years now. But thank you for being a good liar, which I don't know if that's a great. I don't know if it's a great quality to, for a preacher. Or not, out, buddy. I was trying to. I, I, I understand. I understand. But um, you you obviously have embraced the Graham name, and, and uh, from what I'm told, you love talking about your grandfather. I, I do. You know, I love my. I mean, I love my granddaddy. Um, now, most of the, and I will say this, most people see him as Billy Graham. I never see him as Billy Graham. Uh, to me, he's always my granddad, right. which I call Daddy Bill. So mm-hmm. if you hear me refer to as Daddy Bill, that's I'm talking about my grandfather, Billy Graham. But I have a lot of fond memories. Um, I got more memories with my other grandfather, my maternal grandfather. My Billy was always on the road traveling somewhere, so I didn't mm-hmm. get to spend a whole bunch of time with him. But because I lived geographically close to him, then it was a little bit easier for me as a grandchild to get over there and you know, see him from time to time. When did you realize, how old were you when you put two and two together and realized that Daddy Bill, hey, that's that's Billy Graham. When, when did that revelation come? Uh, it happened in two stages. Um, s- stage one was kindergarten. So this is 1980. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I was in kindergarten, the, I remember my teacher coming up to me and putting her my, her hands on my shoulder and said, this is Billy Graham's grandson. I'm like, how does she know who my granddad is? <laughs> <laughs> like, how, did, how does she know? You know, I, I mean, I was five years old, right. you know, and, uh, you know, I didn't really understand who. It, so that's when I first realized other people know who my granddaddy is. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second time, and I, and from then, I mean, trust me, I knew how I've been to his crusades. I knew how big, and I saw him on TV. But it, it, it happened again, in a sense, when I was at Liberty University, mm-hmm. and a, a, a young man knocked at the door on my dorm, and uh, and I opened it, and he just kind of looked at me, and it was kind of really awkward. I was like, you know, buddy, can I help you? You know, like. <laughs> You knocked on my door. What do you want? He said, I just want to look in the room of Billy Graham's grandson. And um, I was like, well, this is now getting kind of on the creepy side. you mm-hmm. know. And he, he, he meant no harm. It was nothing. But I started to realize how important it was to other Christians. You know, not just that he was famous in the world, but how important he was to other Christians. And and I saw that with Dr. Falwell as well, uh, who I, I loved a lot. You know, Jerry Falwell, that mm-hmm. is. Uh, and we're talking about senior. <laughs> and um, and the, the man who founded Liberty University, he, he, you know, he loved my granddaddy. And he would talk about, you know, when I was there, you know, we got Billy Graham's grandson here, you know. And, uh, you know, you can, if Billy Graham can trust his grandson to this school, you can trust your grandson. And so I realized how big it was, important that my granddaddy was for a lot of people for the Christian world. Right. I, I think I was a little bit naive on that side. Um, but, uh, so that, it kind of came in two stages when I was about five years old and when I was about 18 years old. And, and, and that aspect of it, the, the, the latter stage in and of itself, I would imagine is kind of pressure. If Jerry Falwell's telling people, Hey, Billy Graham's grandson is here. And so you can trust us with, with your child too. That in and of itself, I imagine would have to make you step back and say, Hey, wait a minute, what's going on here? Well, he gave me a free ride, so I didn't care. <laughs> so, <laughs> say what you want, right? Yeah. Uh, I was like, yeah, I was like, use me. I'm okay. You gave me a free <laughs> education, man. Um, and I tell you, I love the, 
school. I know the school's not perfect, but that, that's where I fell in love with God's word. Mm-hmm. Um, I had professors that loved me, that um, that helped me fall in love with God's word, and uh, it really changed my life when I was at Liberty. So uh, I'm very grateful for Liberty. I'm grateful for Falwell allowing me to come to school there, and very much thankful. Uh, how God put all this together for me. We're visiting with Will Graham from the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. You have a famous grandfather. We know that God does not have grandchildren. God only has children. So you had to make your own faith decision. You were not grandfathered in, quote unquote. What was that journey like for you to to get to your own relationship with Christ? Well, Dan, you just answered, you just asked the most important question right there. Well, I, I, I try. I've been doing this a little while. Eventually, I stumble into one. Well, today is my spiritual birthday. No kidding. So of, all, of all the days doing an interview, today is my... I was. I gave my life to Christ on January 11th, 1981. And um, we had... Um, I, I, like you said, I grew up in a Christian home. My mom and dad were both Christians. They were fairly young Christians, to be honest. Mm-hmm. My dad came to know Christ later in life. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom, too. They both grew up in Christian homes. My dad grew up with great evangelical parents. Uh, my mom's parents weren't real evangelical. They were more um, Christian by name. Right. You know, cultural. Uh, they went, yeah, culturally yeah. Christians. Yeah. And, um, um, but my mom didn't come to Born of Christ until um, about the time they got married. And my dad too. So they got married. I came along uh, shortly afterwards, and um, so I grew up in a Christian home. And uh, but I remember um, it was back in 1981 that it was because it was the beginning of the year. Um, I, I couldn't be in children's church anymore. I was too big, or you know, like I'm too old now. Like, right. I, I'm getting kicked out. And it was a small church. And, um, so they said, you know, Will needs a, he can't be in the nursery anymore. He's got to go to grown up church. And I wasn't really excited about that because I enjoyed, they gave little vanilla wafers mm-hmm. to eat and some apple juice. That was kind of fun. I like snacks at church and, uh, you know, the little, you know, the felt boards exactly. where they did little stories. Oh, yeah. So we remember those, they've got some good memories there. And so. Now I got to go to grown up church, but on this day it was communion. And I said, Look at this. And I didn't know what communion was. I was like, They got snacks too. <laughs> I was like, Man, they got bread and grape juice. I love grape juice. I love bread. This is, this is good. And so I remember, and I was watching them as they were getting the, like a, a, they would break a loaf of bread and kind of like one half would go one way and one half around, you know, around the church in a sense. And everybody, little, it was a small church, and uh, and everyone would just grab a little pinch of bread off. And I was like, why in the world are they just grabbing a little pinch? I was like, man, when that thing comes, I'm breaking half of it and keeping half of it for myself. <laughs> I'm a selfish little booger, I can tell you uh-huh. that. And um, and I and so when it came by, I reached for it, and my dad slapped my hand, not not in a mean way, I but just like uh, uh-uh. and I was just like, well, he's afraid I'm going to spill it on the carpet because uh, our church had carpet and I was like well he's probably right I would probably spill it on the carpet and I didn't argue you know dad told me no okay and I didn't understand why uh, I just didn't do it and so we went home had lunch then dad took me up to my room and explained to me why I couldn't have communion because I didn't 
Um, I hadn't asked Jesus to come into my life and forgive me of my sin. Now, remember, I've been at church. I believed in God. Mm -hmm. You know, so I'm religious. I believed in God. But I had never asked Jesus to forgive me of my sin. And that was the difference. I wasn't a child of God. I wasn't God's. Um, and so that's when I gave my life over to Jesus Christ. Uh, even though I had believed in God, I had never asked Jesus to come into my life and to forgive me of my sin. And so that's what my dad did for me. I mean, when he did, he led me. Mm -hmm. He taught me that. And I asked Jesus to come into my life. And so I'm very grateful for that. And that happened, uh, today's my spiritual birthday of all things. Uh, that's that's wonderful. You know, as somebody who has, has listened to hundreds and hundreds of, of your grandfather's sermons, and I think it was 2014, I discovered the website. And almost every single invitation that Billy Graham gave, he would mention something along the lines of what you mentioned. You know, you 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 may be a member of the church you 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 may have been confirmed you 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 may have a head belief but you've never truly given your heart to Christ and, and even though you were a young child at the time that applied to you it did it did you know and that's what he he'd always you know it's that 18 inches mm -hmm. from here to here we know it about up here but we haven't applied it here and uh, you know ask God to come into our hearts we know about it but we don't do anything about it. It's that 18 inches. It's the furthest distance in the in the world is that right there. And um, and there's a lot of people that go to church. And there's going to be a lot of Baptists in hell. Mm -hmm. There's going to be a lot of Presbyterians in hell. Methodists, you can go down the list, all right, all of them. Because they're religious, but they don't know Jesus. They go to church. They're good people. But that's not what saves you. It's asking Jesus to forgive you and to come into your life. And many people that go to church have not done that. And so, um, and that's why even my granddaddy, he would preach because the biggest non-believer section of non-believers were in the church, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. He they always, he, he always said that he had a burden for this part of the country, mm -hmm. uh, the, the South where, where he was born and raised in, in Charlotte and, and this entire region, because there are a lot of people who think that because their parents are Christians and or their grandparents are Christians that they're automatically Christian and one of his favorite sayings was as I'm sure you know uh, just because you were born in a garage doesn't make you a motor car that's right that you have to you know, I've used that one often yeah I'm sure you have we're visiting with Will Graham I don't want to spend all of our time talking about your grandfather but I do have to ask you this as he got later in his life and and you were embarking into your own ministry did you get some what you would consider really special time with him when when he was retired and at home? And I know he was in failing health over the the last few years of his life. But what was your relationship like with him during during that time, those last years of his life? Uh, well, it was a couple of things that happened. One was um, I was living in Raleigh, and uh, God called me away from the church I was working in and to come and help my dad at the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. So part of that meant me moving to Asheville, North Carolina, and taking over part of our ministry called The Cove, the Billy Graham Training Center at The Cove in mm -hmm. Asheville. And I say that because that meant I moved to Asheville area. So now I'm really close to my granddaddy geographically, just 10 minutes down the road. And so that was really nice. Um, my other grandparents, my mom's parents lived there too. So that's why I'm saying it was real nice. I got to, all my grandparents were still alive. Mm -hmm. 
And so um, I got to spend a lot of time with them. Um, I was also blessed, Dan, from the standpoint that because of my father, Franklin, and, their, and his work with his father, my granddaddy, um, I got to travel with my dad to some of these other countries to go see my granddad. Right. I got to see my granddad in London. I got to go see him in Denver. I got to, I mean, I, I got to go around the world to go see him. Not all the time, but a few times, um, more often than the other grandkids. And not that I was closer to my granddaddy than the other grandkids. I just geographically closer. And so I got to spend some time with them. And, uh, but we never talked shop. Everybody wants to know, you know, did you talk about sermons? Did you talk about what illustrations? No, <laughs> that's not what grandsons and grandfathers do. We talk about what's really on our life going on in our life. Mm -hmm. And uh, not that he had a lot going on in his life at that time. He was sitting in bed most of it. Um, but um, he would ask about my, you know, what's going on with my kids and um, asking me where I've been preaching lately, you know, who have I met lately and stuff like that. And so we would keep like that. But it was always about what's going on in life in general. And most of the time, to be honest, Dan, it, most of the time we didn't talk. We just sat there, enjoyed each other's company, mm -hmm. and uh, just being with granddad, with grandson. That's all we needed. We didn't need a topic. We just sat there, enjoyed each other's company, and and uh, we'd see something on TV, and he would comment, you know, about something, and then I would ask him about it. You know, do you know that person? Like Merv Griffin. I was with my granddad when Merv Griffin died, and so I said, uh, Daddy Bill. I said, because uh, I saw him watch it intently, like he was like. Like you knew the person. So I said, mm -hmm. Daddy Bill, did you know Merv Griffin? Oh, yeah. He was one of my best friends. And uh, I was like, well, that, no wonder he's paying attention to so much. This mm -hmm. is one of his closest friends. Matter of fact, when my grandfather would go to Hollywood, he would stay at the Hollywood Hilton because it was owned by Merv Griffin. Merv Griffin wanted him to stay there. Right. And so he would be on the Merv Griffin show. And um, so I, as he said, you know, uh, he said, did you – did I ever tell you that he wanted me to take over a show? My granddaddy. Mm -hmm. He said, Will, did you ever know that he, Merv Griffin asked me to take over a show? I said, no. And he kind of left it like that. I said, well, did you ever do it? And he gave me that look like that was a stupid question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He said, no. I said, well, why not? He said, because I'm not funny. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, Duh. Don't you know that? I'm not funny. And, and actually he really is. He's a, he's actually pretty good. He just didn't think of himself funny, but that's what we kind of talked about. It was just life in general. And, um, but aren't those the, the, aren't those the moments that you remember the most though? That's, that's, that's what I remember the most taking walks with him mm -hmm. and just walking down, going to the gate. He had uh, security gates because everybody in the world was trying to get to him. So he walked down there, touched the gate and walked back up. That was his exercise. And the animals would go with him. He had two German shepherds and he had a cat. And the cat would walk with him until it got to the last turn. And the two and it was like another 50 yards to the gate. And so he would walk down there, touch the gate. The dogs would go right with him. But the cat would just sit there like, you're coming right back. I ain't going to go that far. <laughs> you know, like I'm not doing the last 50 yards. I'm just going to sit here until you come back. And the cat would walk just like the, like all three of them. I mean, like uh, the one cat, two or uh, two dogs and my granddaddy would be walking <laughs> up the mountain together. Uh, th those are those are great memories. My uh, the first grandparent I lost, I was 11 years old, and, and he's the one that even all the the years later, I I'm still the clo I would still say I was the closest to because he's the one who instilled 
in me, my love for the game of baseball and, and all of the other things. And so I, I cherish those 11 years. And, the, you know, the first thing I thought of when, when I got saved back in 2012, or one of the first things, I'm going to get to see him again. I hadn't mm-hmm. seen him since I was 11 years old, and I'm going to get to see him again. And you're going to get to see your grandfather again, all, all of your grandparents again someday. I did. And, you know, I was, you know, you're, you said your granddad died when you were what, 11 years 11 old? years old, yes. My first, my grandmother Ruth was the first one to pass away. Mm-hmm. I was 30 years old or 33 years old. I mean, I was, I had all four of my grandparents up into my thirties and then Billy was the last one. Right. And so, I mean, I had, I had all my grandparents and they were all in good health. Like I had them for a long, long time and enjoyed doing things with them, like mm-hmm. going hunting with them or going out to eat. I mean, we could go do things. They weren't in the hospital. Um, and so I was one of the most blessed people in this world to have four living grandparents for, you know, for over 30 years of my life. I was mm-hmm. very, very blessed. Visiting with Will Graham uh, from the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. Uh, before we talk about 2024, in 2023, you, you mentioned some of the places that you went. Seoul, South Korea, Moldova, Brazil. Uh, you went to British Columbia, Canada. You went to Hungary. You went to Idaho, which is not a foreign country, but it was a heavy Mormon population there. But even a couple of the places you went, Hungary and South Korea, were not technically BGEA events, but they were anniversaries of something that your grandfather had done there. So you got a chance to go preach in, in all of these all of these incredible places. What, what was the commonality uh that, that kind of held everything together in each of these places. Did you find there was a common strand other obviously than the fact that they all need Jesus? Was there something else that was, that you found was common among all these different places and all these different people? It was neat to see the churches coming together to see others come to know Christ. Mm -hmm. They were still working together just like during my granddaddy's time, just like my dad's time. And now in my time, they're still working together to see another generation come to know Christ. And, uh, and so that was neat to be a part of that. And, um, especially in Korea, 50 years ago, uh, to the day, uh, my dad preached, I preached, uh, my brother Roy preached, uh, a couple of other employees preached, uh, not all, all at the same venue, but in different places, but it was my granddad's largest crowd that he had ever preached in. 1.1 million people. Mm-hmm. And that was 50 years ago. And the translator, Billy Kim is still alive and he helped organize all that. And it was an incredible event. And it was just fun to watch my dad and Billy Kim, uh, these two great men, uh, that are still friends, even though my granddaddy's passed away, they're still great friends and do a great ministry together. And he's a dear friend. And, but then they go into Hungary to see a whole new generation. Um, it was, uh, I've learned a lot about what was going on in Hungary. Hungary, when it fell from, com- when communism left, the, the government came and said, we don't want this doctrination of communism anymore. We want, we want something different. And so they went to the Baptists and said, we want to give you our schools, <laughs> these public schools. You run them, teach them your doctrine. Tell them about God. And this is what the this is what the government's telling them. Mm-hmm. Baptists, you take this. These are your schools. You run them. You'll do it cheaper. We'll give you the money to run the schools, but you'll do it cheaper and better than we can. And we want you to tell them about God. 
We want, the, you know, because they were hungry for that stuff. And uh, that's what they've been doing ever since. And uh, and it's an incredible ministry that going out. And they had a burn to see another generation come to know Christ. And it was packed. It was so packed in there. And uh, we saw one of the greatest responses of the whole year right there in Hungary. And I was so surprised because I didn't know what to expect. And uh, that one blew me out of the water from expectations I, I, mean, I just i just i sat there and i wept and wept because you just saw people and people hundreds and thousands of people coming forward to give their life to christ so it was neat to watch yeah i, I would imagine the, the the other one that would have had to have been emotional was was your time in moldova because a it's a former communist country and b it borders the ukraine mm-hmm. so you had uh, a number of refugees who had been spilling over the border to get away from the fighting that's going on there. I would imagine that you saw some some desperate, broken people there. It, it is. It's a, it's the poorest country in Europe. Um, you know, and uh, as a nation, they're a little bit scared because they're afraid that Russia is going to keep annexing these former countries. You know, they're just like they're doing in Ukraine, they're going to come and get Moldova next. And so there's a little bit of fear in the country. And so, but and it, when I say this is a poor country, they only got one town that has really um, any type of pl- like a city sewer and city water. Mm-hmm. Only Kishinau, the capital, has that. It, the other places really don't have it. It's really, really scattered. And so I mean, when I say they still using outhouses mm-hmm. out in the you know out in the country, just about ten miles, fifteen miles out of the side of the city, it's that's what it is. And they're still drawing water and stuff like that. I mean, this is how rudimentary this country is. But yet they were hungry for the gospel. And uh, God's doing some amazing work there in that country to see people come to know Christ. And you got Romanians and Russians. That, that's your two ethnicities in that group. But they're Moldovans now. But they were placed there under communist Russia years ago you know, to live there. And so you got these two cultures, Russia and Romania, and they make up the Moldovan. And just the wonderful people. There's some strong believers that are in, uh, that are in political power there. And so it's neat to see what God's doing in that country. Are there any individual stories that, that come to mind that are worth sharing from, from there or one of the other places? Any any people that you remember? Well, uh, my interpreter, he was a neat guy. He was a, he, he did the Russian in translation because mm-hmm. I did one in Romanian. They speak two languages there. Mm-hmm. So I did one night in Romanian, the other one in Russia. And then my, my Russian translator, he uh, asked him how he came to know Christ. He said, well, Will, that's an interesting story. He said... Um, he said, I, I went to church to beat up somebody. <laughs> <laughs> he said, the first time I ever went to a church, I went there to, to beat them up. And while I was in there, I heard the sermon. I gave my life to Christ. <laughs> and uh, and uh, then and on top of that, the he, he saw the pastor's daughter. And man, she's really pretty. And so he wanted to, to date her. But if he's going but she was an American. So he had to learn English. And so he worked really, really hard to be, you know, to learn English so he could date her. But learning a language doesn't happen overnight or a week or two. It, so he kind of lost his chance with that. But he kept on speaking his English. And all he wanted to do be was a translator. And he just spoke with a heavy Russian accent. It wasn't working out. And he finally gave up on it. And as soon as he gave up on it, God, he said, God changed my language, like my tones. And when I say like he he speaks like an, an American, and uh, um, I got something going on right here, 
And uh, he, he, he speaks like an American. So when you talk to him, you think he's an American. Mm-hmm. And so that's what's unique about him because he thinks he's an American. I mean, like when I say he, you talk, he sounds just like an American. You don't even know he's Russian. And so it's really neat to see him talk like that. And uh, now he's he was a translator. Now he's he's a pastor of a church and he's translating and helping people to understand the Bible and teach the Bible to his people. So he's doing an amazing job. Uh, it's it's just incredible what God does and how he does it and who he uses it and how he orchestrates these things using, hey, I want to date this girl and I need to learn to speak English. Didn't get her, but look what he's doing now. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. just incredible. Four or five minutes left and I'll let you go. Um, one of the, the big outreaches for BGEA right now and one that I understand is growing at a, a tremendous rate is, is what you're doing in your internet uh, evangelism service there. Yeah. What, what, what's going on with that and how has that grown? So is it, we call it internet evangelism. And this is where, this is what's so neat because I can't go into like Iran and, and hold a crusade. All right. But how do we get the gospel there? And so what we do, uh, we, we buy um, Google AdWords. And so what we do is we buy words on Google. So when people search certain topics, the Billy Graham Evangelist Association on certain words, mm-hmm. like like peace with God, uh, can is there a God? You know, does God love me? Things like that, phrases like that will buy. So uh, when they search for this, and it's a, this is an English version, so when they search for those words, then they get pointed to a Billy Graham website to begin with. And so, but it talks about their felt need, like uh, is there peace with God? Do you not have peace in your life? You know, and we kind of talk them through that. Mm-hmm. Do you want to learn more how you can have peace on life? Yes. And then it kind of comes into our website and tells them about Jesus. And um, we do that in, for Spanish. Um, we do it in Chinese. Um, so we do it in other languages as well. And we buy these words that where we can attract people to certain things. And then they can come to know Christ. We get their information. We pass them off to a, a counselor mm-hmm. that's online as well. And, and you know, they chat back and forth to help them grow. We help give them resources. And so that goes into places that my father and my granddad and I could never go. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, we, we've seen a lot of this in the Middle East. So places like Iran, Iraq, like Syria, like Lebanon, like Israel, these are places people are looking for answers, are looking for things. They're looking for hope. They're looking for peace. They're looking for love. And they're finding Jesus through the internet. And so uh, it's just technology helps us to get behind barriers that I can't get through, but internet can. And so we're grateful for that. Well, and, and again, it, it's part of your family legacy because your grandfather, Billy, was was really the first one not only to, to use the medium of radio in a widespread way, but he embraced television when a lot of people were still curious about what this box really was and how was it going to affect their lives. And he turned that into a way to, to reach people with the gospel that he never thought he'd be able to do, just millions and millions. And, and the Internet now is giving us, giving you the same opportunity all these years later. It sure is. And he he was like, uh, he wasn't the first on radio, but he, like you said, he was one of the first to use it mainstream, mm-hmm. one of the very first to be televised, both in the UK and in the US. Um, that was in 1957. Um, 
he was also he did movies he did um he went on radio he did television um he did the he did satellite he was one of the very first people christians to use satellite and then he'd be one of the very first people to use the internet yeah. this was the um uh, steve case with american online mm -hmm. and they, they sat up there one of the very first chats and my granddaddy participated in one of the very first chats in human history and uh, he didn't do the typing. Someone else typed his answers because he doesn't know how to type. <laughs> but uh, he was already an old man when that came out. And so he used, he did everything he, we could trying to reach more people for yeah. Jesus Christ. And the Internet has just opened the floodgate of opportunities for yeah, us. He, he always said that he was born before radio even existed. And by the time that that his life ended, he had stepped in at least a little bit into the internet age so i mean he saw it all and and now you're taking this tool that as we know like any tool can be used for good or evil and yeah. and, and you're using it and the the association is using it as a way to get into places that you mentioned a moment ago you just simply can't you, you can't hop a plane and go to iran and preach you just can't do it no no i can do it one time Yes, exactly. Hey, real quick, uh, I know coming up here in 2024, you, you've got uh, outreaches scheduled for Portugal, Australia, uh, back to Canada, and, and Colorado. So you're, you're going to be busy. Stay busy. Well, yeah, yeah, and the dad's always got a few more for me that I didn't know about. So, uh, But, uh, you know, this is what the Lord's given us this year. We're very grateful. One of the interesting ones is Colorado. Mm -hmm. And the reason is because the invitation is is my where i was born mm -hmm. and so that's where i was physically born when i first saw daylight was in uh, longmont colorado that's where my invitation come from and so i'm real excited a little bit nervous at the same time because i'm actually a native of colorado not north carolina and um so i'm looking forward to going there and to proclaim the good news there to uh, other people what do you hope and this is the final question um what what, what do you hope that not only you personally are able to do, but the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, which has already done so much, but what, what do you hope the future holds for the association moving forward? Because we're in a culture now where people are trying to silence the word of God any way and shape and form that they can. And, and yet you guys continue to roll on. What do you hope the future holds? Well, my prayer has been for the impossible. God, all right. And it started with me thinking about my dad going to Vietnam. I was like, for my dad, that's that seemed impossible back in the 70s, that one day he's going to be preaching the gospel in Vietnam. <clears throat> I started looking. I was like, well, God, you did the impossible for my dad. Let's see, my granddaddy, what was the impossible? Russia. Mm -hmm. The communist bloc, Eastern Europe. That was off limits. But yet he got to preach the gospel over there. So I said, Lord... I started looking at the map. It's like, now, where's my impossible ones? You gave Russia the communist bloc to my granddad. For my dad, it's it's been uh, some unique places like Vietnam. My dad's been able to go into North Korea, not to do a crusade, but trying to start one there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we've gone into China. Lord, where's some of these impossible places? And I started looking for me. I said, all right, Lord, uh, how about Tehran? How about Kabul? How about Rehod? How about Jerusalem? <laughs> yeah. You know, those are the impossible ones. I mean, that. and when I look at my life right now, I said, that is impossible for me ever to get to those those cities right there. So I said, Lord, 
There's my impossible. That's what I want. And so I've been asking the Lord. That's what I've been praying for, that God give me the impossible. So we'll wait on the Lord. That's how our conversation ended, and we know that the Bible tells us that nothing is impossible for God, so we continue to pray for Will and pray that God will open those doors and get him to wherever his impossible is and continue to share the gospel through the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. We need to take a break. We'll come back and put a wrap on this week's show right after this. Teenage boys and young men today are in crisis. Statistics show that a home without a father or male role model present is the single biggest indicator of poverty, behavior issues, drug and alcohol abuse, criminal activity, and yes, imprisonment. At Grand Slam Ministries, one of our core missions is developing a mentorship program to teach boys how to become strong Christian men and then teach those men to be the biblical husbands, fathers, and church and community leaders the Bible calls us to be. We need your prayers. We need your ideas, and we need your support. Visit our website, grandslamministries.org, to find out more about our mentorship mission and prayerfully consider how you may be able to assist us. Again, that website is grandslamministries.org. Like what you hear? Have a question or comment? Maybe a guest suggestion? Drop us an email and let us know. Dan at danscottshow.org. And now, back to the Dan Scott Show, presented by Grand Slam Ministries. Back for a quick final segment of this week's Dan Scott Show. Thanks again to Will Graham for being very gracious with his time and being this week's guest. I was hoping to have a little more time at the end of the program, and maybe it's in God's providence that I don't because this is going to be somewhat uh, difficult to get through. Uh, I believe I have shared on the show before uh, the uh, pending birth of our fourth grandchild, Baby Grant, and the physical medical issues that he was facing, uh, the heart issues and, and some other things, and had continually asked for prayers for Becky and Zach my daughter and her husband, as we awaited Grant's arrival. Well, Grant was born on January the 8th uh, in the late afternoon, 7 pounds, 7 ounces, 19 and a half inches long, had all of those medical issues, but just uh, an incredibly beautiful baby boy. Unfortunately, those uh, issues proved to be too much for him to overcome, and nine days later, little Grant Larrabee passed away. Grant the champ, as uh, my daughter and son-in-law had had termed him when he was born. He never made it home from the hospital, and um, just uh, in in the providence of God, and you look for these little things, he was brought in for emergency surgery that final day, and they found out they couldn't do anything for him, but they were able to get him cleaned up and let my daughter and her husband hold him for what became— his final breath, and his final heartbeat. So they have that moment, and um, I personally don't know the pain of losing a child, but I know the pain of watching my child lose a child. And for Angela and I, this has been, I really can't put into words how difficult this has been, maybe the single hardest thing that, that we've ever been through 
as a couple, and we have been through some things, as you know if you've heard my testimony. But God provides these little moments, and one of them came to me as I was driving back uh, to the family down in Charleston. I was on my way to Virginia for a basketball game when I got the call and had to turn around and come back. The first thing that came to mind was if we're going to praise God in the good times, we have to be willing to praise him in the storm. And that has really been impressed on me in the last uh, week plus. The other thing that God brought to mind, and, and this was, I, I truly believe, a way that he was bringing me personally some peace, and he'll work in, in everybody's life in a different way. But we believe that Grant is in heaven now and his body is whole. And it just dawned on me, and I believe God sent this to me as comfort, that my grandson has met my grandparents. How cool is that? And if I know my grandmother Beulah, he's probably aggravating her to death. And if I know my grandfather Fayette on my mom's side, he is having an absolute ball with the young guy. Um, that's the comfort that God has given me in the midst of this. Uh, by the time this airs, the uh, memorial service will have already taken place. Uh, it took place on Friday. Just continue to pray for the family because uh, for Becky and Zach especially, the the coming weeks and months are going to be difficult. The, the hectic part of it is over, and now they're going to be kind of left alone to their to their own thoughts and, and feelings and uh, it, it's just a time that it is going to require that they are absolutely bathed in prayer and feel the presence of God. And we know that he is a good God and he is going to wrap their arms around him. So I thank you for your prayers, ask you to continue praying for our family, and uh, we will watch what God does in this situation. Thank you all. We'll see you again next week. I'm Dan Scott. God bless you, and so long, everybody.